Well, it's good to be here with you. Um, I know Sarah mentioned earlier, I am married to Laura. You get the raw end of the deal today. Um, she is a far better person than I ever hoped to be. So uh, I'm so grateful that I get to be married to her. Uh, we have three kiddos, uh, a six-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 13-year-old. All three are girls, and we've been here in the city for about uh, four years. And we've grown to really love the city. We moved here from Texas. Uh, I love it. Like, I love being here in New York. We survived the most part of the pandemic, and so um, I feel like we're really New Yorkers now. It's like, we did this together. We're here. And so I love being called a New Yorker. At least that's what the elderly lady that lives above us, she's like, you can call yourself a New Yorker now. And I'm like, yes. Um, so I'm very excited by that. Uh, Sarah, I just want to say thank you for sharing what you shared just um, at the beginning of our service, just the reading from Psalms 23. I loved that. Um, in many ways, I feel like that might have just been for me and probably might have been for you as well. I've been in a new job now for about three, four weeks, new career. It's been like 12-hour days. Um, I feel like I'm wandering around, barely making it, like, oh my gosh, like total imposter syndrome. Like, did I just talk myself into this job? And I really know, have no idea what I'm doing. I'm still like, I'm having to go back and learn Excel for the first time and since college. It's in finance and mergers and acquisitions. And so I love what I'm doing. I love the team. Um, I'm super excited by it. But I'm like, oh, here we are today. It's like, I don't feel like I have a lot for you. Um, I feel very humbled to be up here because honestly, any one of you could come up here and share and we would equally um, be blessed by it. And so... Um, you all have a lot of wisdom to offer um, one another in the world. And so thanks for giving me a few minutes to share. I hope it's encouraging to you. I know we're in this, um, this series on mission. And I love what Drew had to share last week about mission and how mission could be a part of our everyday life. And I thought it was so, like, it was so rich and it was so meaningful. And for those of you, who was he, anybody here last week? Maybe a few. If you weren't, go back and listen. If not, no big deal. Uh, but it was really, really rich. He shared from this passage in Scripture um, in Matthew 28. And oftentimes it's called the, um, the Great Commission. It's this seminal passage that oftentimes gets talked about. It's like our big, like, here we are, here's our hoorah, this is what you're all supposed to do. And Jesus says, you know, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I have commanded them to to do. And it's kind of like, this is what we're supposed to do as Jesus followers. We're supposed to make disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this great commission, but there's one that I prefer a little bit better. Now, if you're sitting here, you're like, who is this joker? Like, there is only one great commission. Like, what other Bible are you reading from? Um, you may not call it a great commission. Others may not call it a great commission. I'm going to call it a great commission because I like it. And um, it not only tells us what to do, but I think it tells us how to do it. And in some ways, it allows me to take a deep breath. Because participating in mission, the renewal of all things, going out and making disciples, to, seems a little bit, like, overwhelming. Um, and I don't know if you're like this, but whenever I show up to church and they start talking about mission... I like put my head down and like try not to like pay attention because I'm like, do they not know that I'm working a 12-hour day and um, I have no capacity 
to do anything else or be a part of anything else. Like, this is already starting to stress me out. Like, um, I don't know if you're like that. I tend to be like that. But when I look at this other passage, in many ways, it kind of like it takes the air out of the balloon and it's like allows me to breathe a little bit deeper and to take a deep breath. And it's the passage that was read just a moment ago. And it's this passage in John um, chapter 20, verse 21. Now, I'm not going to go back and read the entire um, passage, but I will focus um, on this verse. And this is what it says. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Not stress, not anxiety, not like go like ruin yourself in the name of Jesus, like get burnt out and like wear yourself out. And like the marker of a good Christian is if you're all like worn out and have no energy for anything else. It's not what he says. He says, peace. In other words, this life that I've been trying to show you, one that resembles the way in which creation began and one in which the world one day will be. That wholeness, that renewal, that new way of being human and of living, that's what I want you to take into the world. And he, so he says, peace. Not like a little bit of tranquility, but peace the way in which it will be, the renewal of all things, the mission that G Drew talked about last week and that we see all throughout scriptures. He's saying, take that with you. Let it be part of you. Let it be integrated into you as you go. And then he says, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now, you may say, I don't think I've been sent anywhere. And wasn't he just talking to the disciples? Let me tell you, um, if Jesus had only been like all about sending and God had only been about sending and using the word sent one time, I would say maybe you're probably right. Now, I'm no theologian uh, or scholar, um, but when I look through scripture over and over and over and over again, I see this idea of sending being essential to the very person of God. He is the sent and sending one. From the beginning of time, he was sending. From his breadth to people, to Abraham, to the Israelites, to kings and judges and prophets and individuals and uh, women and men. And even the end of the Old Testament ends with the promise that God's not done sending. In fact, he's going to send a messenger. And that messenger was John who would make way um, for the sent one, Jesus himself. And so... I'm going to just go and tell you, this is not just for the disciples. This is for you and for me. And if you don't feel like you've been sent anywhere, here is the beauty. And I could talk about this all day long because I find it um, so refreshing. Wherever you find yourself today, whatever neighborhood, building, group of friends, workplace, uh, team or sport that you're a part of, um, gym or exercise class that you go to, uh, wherever it is that you find yourself, God was already at work in that place and amongst those people. And then he sent you. You have already been sent, just so you know. 
the big question for you today is where have I been sent? Not where am I being sent, where are you already at that Jesus is inviting you to participate in his mission? Not an extra add-on, not more to do, but just simply to pay attention to where God is already at work in the places you live or the places you work or the places you play and to join God in his redemptive mission there. Now, this passage doesn't just say you've been sent, but it tells us how we're to live in those places. And this is what I love. It says, just as or in the same manner in which Jesus entered into this world, this is how you are to participate in mission. This is how you are to live. Jesus is our example. Now, you may say, well, that's a no-brainer, Ryan. That's why I'm here today at church, just so you know. We can wrap this up and head home. Um, I hear that. But if I was honest with you, I would tell you that for a majority of my life as a Christ follower, I missed Jesus. I missed him. I missed the, the way in which he was inviting me to participate in his mission in the world. I missed the way in which he was inviting me to live and to be human and to engage him and to engage the world. Until this pivotal point a handful of years ago where I was sitting across the table from a neighbor. Um, this neighbor was not yet a Christ follower, um, but we were slowly starting to become friends. In fact, I gotta be honest with you, I had no other friends that were not Christians at this point in my life, except for this guy. And I was trying to like, you know, make an end with him of some form or fashion. Um, I don't even know how we ended up having lunch together now that I think about it, it just kinda happened. And we were sitting there, and we were having a burger. That's probably why we ended up lunch. It was an offer to have a burger. Uh, I love a good burger. Uh, in fact, I talk about hamburgers multiple times in this, this, our time together, now that I think about it. Um, the next one will be J.G. Mellon, so just look out for that, all right? Uh, they have the best burgers in New York City. Okay. Um, so we're sitting there, and we're having a burger, and I was having a conversation with my neighbor. And somewhere along the way in our conversation, and again, this was like fluff. It wasn't like anything deep or meaningful or insightful. It was like, hey, did you watch the Patriots lose? Or, hey, go Cowboys. Or, hey, what about the Giants? Or, you know, whatever it might have been. And somewhere along the way, he stopped me and he's like, hey, Ryan, I got a question for you. I was like, great, I love questions. This will be fun. And he's like, why is it you Christians? And I was like, this is not gonna be fun. Uh, he's like, why is it you Christians? are always inviting me to your stuff. It's like you invite me to your services, you invite me to your events, you know, to the Christmas thing that you do, or to the Easter thing, or to the marriage thing, or like get my kids here, then maybe you'll get to me through my kid, like if my kid comes to your activity, um, and you and I both know I just don't wanna pay for childcare, so I'm dropping my kid off, like um, why is it you're always inviting me to your stuff? It's like you want me to come into your world. Then he said, when is it you're going to enter into mine? And at that point, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I mean, thankfully, I, I had taken a bite, and it, like, bide me a few minutes. I finished chewing, swallowed, took a drink, 
And the only thing that I could come up with was like, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. As I began to think about it, as I began to like talk out loud, not as if God was like parting the heavens and speaking to me, but I began to realize, oh my gosh, I have missed it. I missed Jesus. And I shared with him, I'm so sorry. Because that's, that's not the example of the Jesus in the Gospels. In fact, the Jesus of the Gospels stepped out of his world and entered into ours. I began to kind of ponder that over the coming days and the coming weeks. And I just realized I had not been living the way in which God had asked me to live. I had not entered in to the world of those that he had sent me. My life was taken up with Christians and Christian activity. I didn't know my neighbors. I didn't know coworkers. I didn't know any of those things. I didn't spend time with other people. It was this. And then anytime we talked about mission, it was like, oh, this is what I got to do. I got to pat myself. You know, this is like, this is what we're supposed to do. And it just felt exhausting. And not only did I miss Jesus, but I missed and his call for mission, but I missed his call to be human again. And that's what partly Jesus did, taught us how to live, how to be human. You know, it's oftentimes referred to out throughout the Bible that Jesus was kind of like the second Adam in the sense of that Jesus showed us what it was really meant to be human. And so then what does it look like to be human? And what does it look like to, to join Jesus in mission? And I'll tell you, those are one and the same. Those are one and the same. And I'll talk about it a little bit more. But if I were to look at the life of Jesus and I was to ask, then what is his example? What is the way in which he showed me to live on mission? Um, I would first say this, and there'll be a handful of P words that start with the letter P. Um, I would say this, that one, he embraced proximity. He embraced proximity. I love what John chapter 1, verse 14 says, and in the message it puts it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Not moved into the world, not moved into the region, but moved into the neighborhood. And for 30 years, Jesus lived well with a handful of people. In fact, he was from this region called Galilee. And Galilee was this region that was referred to um, as the unreligious. It was like the rough part of town. If you didn't have religious inclination, you went to hang out in Galilee. And this is where Jesus grew up. These are the people that he shared life with for a majority of his life. And when you think about Galilee, it wasn't like New York City metropolis. This was like a town of 200 people. And that day they had more than like 1.3 kids. Um, so you're talking like 15 to 20 families all in all for 30 years. And it was no bigger than two New York City blocks, like from 52nd to 54th between 2nd and 3rd. This was where Jesus spent his life in this seemingly insignificant small town where he rubbed shoulders with people. And for us to follow the way of Jesus, we are going to have to be near people. Now, in a place like New York City, that seems daunting. When we moved to New York City four years ago, I quickly realized we could not live in New York City. 
It was just too much. I mean, in like five square blocks, there's like 97 restaurants and four coffee shops and like um, 10 bodegas. And it's like, you just can't do it. You have to figure out, how am I going to live a small, seemingly insignificant life that Jesus, in fact, is calling me to? Why? So that I can live well alongside a handful of people, which is totally contrary to our American culture. Where it's not like how many like Instagram like people can I follow and how many LinkedIn connections can I have. It's the opposite. Who are the few people that I can live well and intentionally with? I'm, you may have heard at some point or another people talk about this, this moment um, where Jesus, like they say, entered into ministry. It's like he was baptized by this guy named John and a dove kind of descended and um, you know, there's this voice that was heard that says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And I've, I've oftentimes heard it say that like, and again, I'm no theologian, check this with Drew, maybe Sarah, um, don't take my word for it. But I've oftentimes heard people say like, you know, Jesus hadn't done anything for God yet. And like Jesus was just, God was just pleased with him. I want to say like, BS, like, like, Jesus lived the exact way that God had intended him to live for that 30 years. Not like, you know, Jesus really took a bad course in life that first 30 years, and he really turned the corner, but don't worry, God was pleased with him. No, Jesus showed us in that first 30 years of seemingly insignificance how we are to live. He lived in a neighborhood, and nobody knew he was God. What does it look like for you and I to live well with a group of people? In a way, yet, to the world, it's seemingly insignificant. But it allows us to live well with people. And in doing so, that is not exhausting and tiring. So for our family, we figured out, how do we live well in our neighborhood? We, we go to the gym one street over. Our kids go to school in the neighborhood. Thankfully, I found a job in the neighborhood. Uh, I know that's not always the case, um, and so I totally get that. But we go to the grocery store across the street. And no, it's not Trader Joe's, so we, like... We go to Fairway, folks, like we're sacrificing a bit here for Jesus, all right? Like, we go to the coffee shop on the corner. It's not my favorite coffee shop. Like, I would much rather have Loch Lome coffee down in, like, Fideye or something. But, like, I've got to settle for, like, the two-buck, like, best coffee in the world, like, coffee place. Um, but what happens is I see the same people all the time. I don't leave my neighborhood. I don't walk out my building and not run into somebody. I have a community. I don't feel like a stranger in New York City. It's sustainable, it's life-giving, it's transforming. It's the way in which Jesus taught us to participate in mission and to be human. So yes, Jesus asked us to be near to some people. You've gotta figure out who is it that I'm gonna be near with because I can't be near to all of New York City. And then, if I were to look at what else Jesus showed us is that Jesus not only lived near people, but he did it in such a way where he embraced a posture of powerlessness. He gave up his power. And he entered into this town. And he relied on the value that the people in this town could bring him. In other words, he did not look at these people as projects. I'll tell you, the moment we start seeing our non-Christian friends as projects, either I got to invite them to church or I got to get them saved, or I got to tell them the gospel. 
The moment we see it that way, we've lost the plot, you guys. Let's go home. The people that we are sharing life with, the people we rub shoulders with, they have immense value to bring to the world. In fact, God says so. In fact, he made them in his image. Yes, we are all sinners in need of a savior. But I got to tell you, that came in Genesis 3. We sinned, we screwed it up, we need Jesus. Genesis 1, he made man and woman, woman and man, in his image, and it was good. The people we rub shoulders with have value. And Jesus saw them as people of value and worth. And yes, he had value to bring to the table, hands down, get it. We're to bring value to our communities. Yes, got it. But they have the ability to bring value and worth to us. There's this beautiful passage in Philippians in chapter 2. I won't read the entire passage, but I'll read it at least um, verse 3. And it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And he's talking about um, if any of you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, um, then do the same things that he did. And then it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And I tell you, it, it like levels the playing field because we're then all in this together. We're all in this together. The other day, um, we had a new neighbor move into our, our building, and um, I'd run into him. I feel like we run into people in and out of our building. We've got three kids, so it's like we're always in and out, taking our kids somewhere. Um, and he had moved into the neighborhood, and, and I was like, oh, hey, it's great to connect. And um, honestly, I hadn't hung out with, like, a guy friend in, I don't know, at least 18 months, 24 months. Like, I was like, oh, man, this is cool. Like, I need a friend. Like, this has been a hard go, you guys. And I was like, hey, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to really save this guy. This is going to be the one. Um, and I said, hey, I'd love to go grab a meal. Let's, we, should, we ought to hang out, you know, get to know each other. He's like, great, why don't we meet at J.G. Mellon, 73rd and uh, 3rd Avenue, Great Burger. If you've never been, you should totally try it. Cash only. Don't get yourself in a bind. But so we were, I was like, I'd love to go. Let's do it. I love J.G. Mellon. So we went. We met for burgers. And uh, we were hanging out, talking. And at some point in our conversation, he made some comment like, man, I'll tell you, it's hard not to be anxious, you know, after all of this. And I just kind of felt this nudge that, Ryan, I needed to be vulnerable. Uh, I have a counselor, and my counselor says, Ryan, take every opportunity to be vulnerable with the people that you feel like you can. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. It could totally weird this dude out, but, you know, why not? Uh, I was like, I got to be honest, you're right. Like, I've really struggled with anxiety this year, like. I've had heart problems because of it. Like, I've had panic attacks. Like, I thought I was having a stroke. Like, I've been in the hospital. And he's like, he's like, I was in the hospital three weeks ago because I thought I was having a, a heart attack. And I didn't realize it was a panic attack. And I'm really struggling with anxiety. And I was like, oh, man, like, you're not alone. Like, uh, let's be in this together. I found this great app and it does some cool, like, you know, meditation type stuff. And it's been really helpful for me. And I just need a friend to talk to. And. I left that time, I came home, I told my wife, I was like, this is the most normal I have felt in 18 months. I was just like, I am so grateful that God invites me to share life with people and to see people 
as people that can bring me value and worth. Like, even just the other day, we had a neighbor on our fifth floor say, hey, anytime you and your wife need a babysitter, we will babysit, I will babysit your kids for you. Like, I'm like, I'm so grateful I've gotten to know her. Like, and over the last couple months, and it's like, when we moved to New York, we didn't have any friends. Like, so we looked at our buildings like, these are all we got. Like, this is where we're going to start. I wouldn't pick them, um, but this is it. And these are, our, these are our people. And this is what Jesus invites us to is, to, is to slow down and to see the people around us as not burdens, but maybe the, having the very thing that we need. It makes us slow down when we're walking out of our building. It makes us slow down in the coffee shop. It makes us not just keep our head down while we're in the gym doing our thing and trying to get out. Uh, it, it, it helps us to like open up a little bit at work because there might be people there that could actually be friends and we could be in this thing together and they could maybe bring us value and yes, we could bring them value. Jesus called people friends. He was a friend of sinners, not like he didn't place himself over. And so what does it look like for us to not just be near people, but to, to enter in and to see them as friends? And then I would say lastly is this, is that Jesus invites us not just to be near, but he invites us to be present. He invites us to be with. Proximity, a posture of powerlessness, and presence. This goes beyond like just being physically close to someone. This is like being with. And the best way that I can describe it is when I am sitting across the table with my wife and I am near her and I'm playing on my phone or trying to catch up from an email from that day or finish up things. And she's like, can you just be with me right now? That's the difference. It's being attuned and attentive. It's listening. Uh, there's this great quote by the inventor of the stethoscope. And he says, if you listen to your patients, they will tell you how to heal them. And I love that quote. I think something similar can be said for us. If we listen to the people and the places we do life, they will tell us what good news is for them. And it may not be a full-on gospel presentation or an invitation to church, just so you know. That may happen. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think those are all great, wonderful things. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But what they might need is your hospitality. You having them over to your small apartment. Everybody's apartment is small, so don't worry. It's not you. It's not like they're going to be like, oh, my God, what are they going to think? My apartment is so small. Their apartment is so small, too. Uh, experience your hospitality. Experience your kindness and generosity. Just simply listening to the coworker at work talk about um, their weekend and the drama that entailed and to be able to sympathize or empathize or say, I'm so sorry, to bring, do like, you know, what is it that they need? To be kind to your neighbors. We have a neighbor that lives above us. She's in her upper 70s. It's the woman that I referred to earlier, and she's just lonely. And everybody in our building doesn't want to talk with her, and so they rush past her because they know she will talk forever because she hasn't talked to anybody else. She has no family. She's been in our building since the 60s, and what's good news to her is that somebody would listen to her and just have a conversation so she doesn't feel alone and crazy. Just to check on her. 
Uh, we made a commitment in the pandemic just to call her once a week and um, just to talk on the phone. And she would talk 99.9.9% of the time. But honestly, it was amazing. It, like, it was one of the highlights of our weeks just to talk and say hi and catch up and hear her rant and rave and all those things. But it made me feel like I was a part of a community. What God is inviting us to is to not just be near people, but to see them as value and then to become one of. Jesus became one of us. Become one of and share life with, enjoy, listen, hear with ears and ask, Spirit, how can I be you to them? What is the piece of the good news that they are lacking or that they need in this moment? Because here's the beautiful thing. The one P word that I haven't said yet, proclamation, which is the one that we oftentimes camp out on. Let me tell you, it will come because somewhere along the way, they will ask why you're so crazy or why you're kind. Or, you know, our person at the gym the other day, she said, you guys are just good people. Why are you such, why are you such good people? It's like you're always asking us about how we're doing and you bring treats and you, it's the orange theory that's behind us. And it's like, we bring like croissants and like stuff. And we just, we're just kind and we ask them and we've invited them over for dinner and they're in our little place of where we feel like we've been sitting. She's like, why are you guys such good people? And I got to talk about my Jesus because Jesus is making this world new again. And we're just trying to join him here in this neighborhood. So the proclamation will come. And let me tell you, when it does come, you will actually have some proof in the pudding. Like they will have experienced your generosity. They will have experienced your kindness. They will have experienced your patience and your listening ear and your care and your empathy. And so when you talk about your Jesus and the kingdom to come, it will actually mean something. It won't just be words. And that is what the world is desperate for. And that is what Jesus is inviting us into. And I'll tell you right now, it's pretty dadgum simple. It's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. It's being present. It's not, it's not like buying into the, to what culture tells us that bigger and better and grander and I've got to live all across this great city and I've got to be huge and known and all of those things. Let me tell you, if you're not 40 yet, you'll hit 40 and you'll be like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I really don't care what, what the world has to say. Like, I don't care about being the greatest of all time anymore. That's partly why I switched careers. It's like, I just, I want to live well with a few people and I want to be in community and I want to do that Jesus thing. And I want people to know me in the same way that I know them. That, I tell you, is sustainable. That is life-giving. That's where the peace of God will, in fact, um, enter into your life and allow you to carry it with you as you engage these folks. So the folks, the band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in one last song, and, uh, and we're going to close. And as we close, I would just simply say this. That go and make disciple thing, this is it. It's not like a Bible study course that you're taking your coworker through. That may be part of it at some point down the road. 
but that go make disciples is live. It's actually as you go is how it's really supposed to be interpreted in. As you go about your life, your, your every day, your ins and outs, your work, your home, your meals, live in such a way where the kingdom of God rubs off on those you're sharing life with. That's discipleship. It can't rub off on folks if you're not near them and friends with them and with them. So don't even bother. But I promise you, if you take Jesus' example, you will experience the peace in which he has to offer your neighbor and you. You will participate in the renewing of this world and the renewing of your own life. That's the good news, folks. That's the good news. I've been changed. Taking the pill, I've drank the Kool-Aid. There's no going back. I don't want all the religious stuff. I just want Jesus and I want to follow him and his example for life. And I promise you it will change your life. So the invitation, where are you sent? Who is God calling you near? Who is he calling you to be with? And what does it look like to listen to the promptings of the Spirit 